Hey, Paul, how's your week been? It's lovely, mate. How's yours going? Um, it's pretty good, except that today my life just hit a peak. Oh no, you've peaked already. My life has peaked because our guests today are the legendary game developers who created Quest for Glory, the Shannara point-and-click adventure game from 1995, Hero U, and Summer Days is next. Uh, we have on the show Lori and Corey Cole. Welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Hello. How are you today? We're fine. And we're sorry you're so peaked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so how are things going with your next game? They're going great. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, the art we're getting is gorgeous. Uh, Paul's doing some really interesting uh, stuff musically. And uh, uh, Lori is, uh, uh, oh, two in the morning is uh, talking about ideas she has for the game. And then, you know, first thing when we get up, it's like, uh, well, what about this? And so we're, uh, <laughs> you know, really, uh, really starting to get going on it. It's uh, game, game design is a weird process because, uh, you know, people talk about having an idea for a game. And, uh, mm. you know, I used to say, well, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, uh, that everybody's got lots of ideas. But uh, the, it's, the, it's the process where you start going from, you know, having a general concept of what the game is and then saying, okay, oh dear, we've actually committed to this. We're actually going to make a game. And there are, you know, 10,000 piddly little details we have to work out before we can do it. So it's, uh, you know, getting those ideas to start to coalesce. And it usually for us, you know, Maybe it's because we're old people, but it takes us uh, a few months just to uh, take the basic ideas and start to get them really coalesce and to say, okay, you know, we've got all these great ideas for a game and, oh, well, here's actually the game we're going to make out of it. I imagine the, the process is probably like always in flux, like constantly moving as you apply it, you know, a practical application, apply it with the programmers and the artists. You have to make a lot of changes on the oh, fly. Oh, yes. And, and you really have to adapt to what you have team members that you have and to their contributions because certainly um the idea of having a character talk all in music that i came up with today is directly uh, applicable to the fact that we have you paul as a musician working on the project and i can talk to you directly and get this give and take feedback so that we can perfect these ideas and get it to work so yeah every uh, every game we make is uh, is a total reflection of uh, who's on it so you know, we talk about uh, uh, Corey and Lori Cole, uh, game designers, and first of all, that's not very accurate because Lori does about 90% of the actual design work, and uh, I do about 10% of the design and about, you know, 80% of the scut work uh, that has to be done uh, uh, to get the games done. Uh, and we kind of go back and forth in our roles on that. But uh, just everyone you have on there, uh, uh, when we started on Hero U, uh, Rogue to Redemption, first of all, the title came from... Uh, a uh, team member at one of the meetings said, uh, why don't, you know, why don't we play off the uh, road movies and call it, uh, uh, you know, the road to redemption or the rogue to redemption. And they said that was pretty good. It was uh, only uh, after we had that title totally locked in that I realized it's actually a terrible title. Uh, the game names need to be short. Never, ever put punctuation in a game title. Hero Dash U is a terrible idea. It's hard to search for. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, you make these mistakes, and you make some of them over and over, but we try mostly to make new mistakes every time. So, uh, yeah, Dave Gilbert with Wadge and I just came out with uh, Unavowed, and that's a good, you know, 
three-syllable one-word title. Nice and simple. Anthem. Another recent game. I, I do like a little bit of a you know, a multi-word title, though. I, you know, I, I just figure with these one-word titles, you're just eventually going to run out of words in the language. And they're not very descriptive. You really don't know what a game called Anthem is about. Oh, I mean, it's obvious. Uh, Ayn, Ayn Rand wrote a novelette called Anthem, and it's uh, it's all a uh, post, uh, 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 you know, Armageddon uh, uh, coming out of your bomb shelter and uh, uh, trying to uh, have a libertarian world. That's obviously what the game's about. Mm, oh, it isn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I must have missed that one. That, that book wasn't in pictures, so I skipped it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so Hero You started out with uh, Andrew Golding, who uh, did uh, uh, Jolly Rover, which is kind of a traditional Monkey Island-style adventure game, and then uh, uh, MacGuffin's Curse, which is a, a fun uh, uh, puzzle game with an exploded uh, top-down view. <coughs> and so we said, okay, we'll make the game look like MacGuffin's Curse, and uh, uh, you know, and we'll make it a uh, you know a roguelike game with story. Was our uh, you know kind of what we said it was going to be. Uh, and so the Rogue Redemption also worked because it was a roguelike. Um, and that all uh, lasted about a month uh, into production of the game, at which point uh, uh, the uh, team switched up and our art director said, I hate this top-down exploded look, and here's what we're going to do instead. <laughs> <laughs> and it proceeded from there. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, but that's uh, everything you do in a game is a, is a function of uh, both the designers and every team member uh, as a contribution and what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. Uh, gets into the game. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I quite I quite like the the extended name because it it takes takes it takes us back kind of atavistically speaking to you know obviously the Quest for Glory series would be you know it's it's here are you Rogue Redemption here are you Summer Days or Summer Days at here are you but it kind of carries like that um, staple along with it which I think is really neat and I also like that you went with Rogue Redemption because it taught me that if you switch around the U in the spelling that you end up with a color and, and not a rogue character which I embarrassingly sent to you guys um but i learned something that day about a new color people put on the lips oh huh. well, i didn't know that one uh so actually yeah the, the uh, quest for glory series was originally named hero's quest and it was all about uh, the uh, theme and hero's quest of course uh uh has that apostrophe and the hero apostrophe s quest uh and was subtitled so you want to be a hero so the full name of that game was hero's quest so you want to be a hero um and we very quickly started just referring to it as Hero's Quest. Later became Quest for Glory. So I guess uh, that's all I need to learn to is that even though we have a whole series of games coming up in the uh, Hero U uh, universe that, uh, oh, the Hero universe, there we go, uh, that I probably should just call the first one Hero U and forget about the subtitle. Um, so there are actually, uh, much to the delight of the fans, there's a, quite a few Quest for Glory references throughout Hero U rogue to redemption so far and i believe there is a more direct link in a character calvin who will be appearing in summer days who i believe is re relative of calb from quest for glory 3 yes indeed that uh, we have a lot of relatives from other characters from previous games and things like that so the world has this consistency of style and characters whereas i was going to say the exact opposite any uh, anything it seems like a quest for glory reference just an absolute coincidence well i was going to say like how how um how careful do you feel you have to be in order to like try to connect the two universes while still not getting activision up at arms about it it's a delicate balance really but the fact is nobody at activision or Sierra, for that matter, ever knew what we were doing. 
<laughs> while, while we were doing Quest for Glory. And uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, those games are copyrighted. Uh, it would, we would never, uh, you know, quote lines directly out of the game or stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, take, uh, obviously, we don't even look at the uh, source code from it. It would be irrelevant if we did. That was all written in SDI. We're writing in, uh, uh, you know, Unity, C Sharp, um, and our own tool composer. So, it's, I mean, the games are... Uh, <clears throat> They share a world, and that's because that's the fantasy game world that we used for our uh, tabletop role playing long before Sierra. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, reference. Most most of the references to Quest for Glory that are in Hero U are actually from our backers. Oh, uh, I see. That we uh, enabled uh, high level backers to have statues and paintings and such in the game. Um, and uh, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, that was our. Uh, are high tier, but we actually lost money on every one of those because it cost us more to uh, create the art for it than we got from the backers. Oh. Um, but uh, uh, that's okay because we would have spent that money anyway because we needed paintings, statues, stuff. So we got uh, free ideas from our backers. Uh, and a lot of them were Quest for Glory fans and uh, you know put in references to their favorite Quest for Glory character. But uh, that's all, uh, you know, that's all protected, uh, you know, uh, uh, I want to say protected parody, but it's just yeah, you can you can refer to a previous work and you know Shakespeare uh, uh, referred to the Bible and all sorts of stuff in uh, his work. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a long-standing tradition. The arts uh, re- things refer back to other things. It's no problem at all. We're not copying anything. Mm-hmm. What was it like working at Sierra? Uh, the best of places, the worst of places, all at the same time. Yeah, it was a, it was extremely stressful. I mean, we worked huge long hours, and everybody on the team did. Uh, you know, fifty, sixty hour weeks were the norm. Uh, and but the thing is that what some companies don't understand because Electronic Arts had a lot of lawsuits and stuff uh, uh, about mandatory unpaid overtime. Uh, but you don't really think about that when you're doing it. It's not, you know, until the final couple of years when we were working in Quest for Glory Five, we never really had a case where the company came to us and said. You must work through the holidays, and you must uh, uh, work overtime. It was just we were doing stuff that we really cared about, we really loved, and uh, you could see that you get to uh, you know six or seven in the evening, and it's you're in the middle of something. You keep working on it. You don't stop. I got uh, <laughs> I got stopped a couple times by a local sheriff uh, driving home at midnight or two a.m. and uh, uh, wondering what I was doing after the time of ISA, so I'm going home from work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said uh, best of times, worst of times, and it, you know I think a lot of us have heard kind of the, the worst of times when it comes to Sierra's. It ended in quite a spectacular, disastrous form. Odd combination of words, sorry. Uh, my point is, I was, I was kind of wondering if you if you had any like standout best moments, something like a, like a blooper gag reel sort of stories that happened while you were there. Oh, there were lots, uh, but uh, uh, the one thing for uh, for Heroes Quest, uh, particularly in the beginning of Quest for Glory 2, uh, is we had all the team members sitting together and uh, just feeding ideas off each other. So an artist would doodle something, and programmer would look over there and see it and said, oh, I know how to get that into the game. And we'd get stuff that Lori and I never dreamed of. Uh, but one of the ones on Quest for Glory 2, Brian Hughes came up with the idea that uh, in one of the dead-end uh, alleyways, there was a uh, Saurus repair shop uh, because said, uh, you know, we're taking these, uh, you know, uh, dinosaurs out into the desert and running into monsters and such. And, uh, you know, they must get uh, pretty damaged. Uh, 
so there's got to be somewhere, uh, you know, basically a, a garage in town somewhere uh, to uh, repair the Sauruses. Uh, and got all that done. We we gave it their seal of approval, and uh, it was just a fun little uh, uh, incidental scene. And then we got to uh, pressing the game on the floppy disk, and there was no place to fit it. So we reluctantly had to cut that out. Uh, 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 AG, what did they call it? Adventure Game Developers Anonymous or something like that. Anonymous Game Developers, uh, AGD, uh, did the uh, fan uh, uh, remake of Quest for Glory 2, and uh, they actually got a hold of Brian and uh, uh, put in a version of the Saurus Repair Shop into the remake. So that's kind of cool. There's a feature in uh, the remake that isn't in the original game. And most of the most of the puns and the jokes uh, that were Easter egg style things came from the artists or from the programmers rather than from us directly. Some of them we put in ourselves, but a lot of them did come from the other team members, and that was always great. You know, the best games are the synergy of the people working for it, and uh, and everybody taking the time to really care about what they're doing. And that's what made it exciting, and that's what made the best of times at Sierra. That and certain aspects of the of developing games is just incredible, like doing voices, going to doing voice recording with these wonderful actors is just one of those huge high points in in your life of getting to work with these professionals and listening to these words on paper come to life. That's just incredible moments yeah a lot of times uh, we would get to two months to game release and would absolutely despair that we had a horrible game that we just spent you know a year working on and you know it was it was just not fun uh, and then the soundtrack came in the uh because sierra didn't usually put a musician on the project until the last couple months uh, and all of a sudden uh, you would have this uh, game that felt flat and boring and the music comes in, and the sound effects come in, and all of a sudden it's it's rich and uh, and wonderful. Uh, so uh, a lot of our games, you know, we didn't know if they were any good until they were almost done. Uh, the uh, oh, uh, one of the things were uh, yeah, stress and fun come together uh, was on uh, Quest for Glory three that uh, after uh, multiple fifty or sixty hour weeks, uh, one of the artists uh, 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 eyes started to blur, and uh, he got a uh, a model sheet uh, uh, for Ego, and Ego was the pet name that Sierra had for your character in any game, uh, so that uh, you didn't have to worry about whether it was Rosella or the hero or whatever. It was always Ego, mm, right? Uh, and he misread Ego as Ego with two G's, <laughs> um, and immediately started to think about Ego waffles. I guess he hadn't eaten for a while either, <laughs> uh, and he proceeded to uh, to draw a. Uh, uh, a, a standing up waffle uh, on legs uh, walking through the environment and animated yeah, it. Awful waffle walker, and, yeah. Uh, uh, and that became the awful waffle walker uh, just because he had misread a, uh, a model sheet and started fantasizing and probably delirious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that was one of the uh, Easter eggs in Quest for Glory 3. And uh, we wrote a little bit of dialogue for it and stuff. Um, Arnie the Aardvark in uh, Quest for Glory 3 is uh, a combination of the fact that Laurie and I love the uh, Cerebus uh, graphic novels, uh, and that features, uh, you know, a, a talking Aardvark, Cerebus the Aardvark, uh, and uh, Arnie Sacknewsome comes from uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth by H.G. Wells, uh, and uh, was it H.G. Wells? Jules Verne? Jules Verne, yes. Jules Verne, sorry. Jules Verne, Journey to the... So, yes. Uh, <laughs> 
Arne Saknussem was a uh, fictitious character in Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth. And uh, the characters, uh, I think they eventually meet him late on, but most of the time they don't actually ever meet Arne Saknussem, but they see the initials AF inscribed on uh, cavern walls all through the, uh, as they're journey down into the center of the earth. Uh, and uh, uh, we just decided that uh, Arne Saknussem was just uh, one of the ultimate funny names. And uh, so we uh, said, we'll have a, an aardvark named Arne. Well, we also had a stuffed aardvark. We also had a little pet. We yeah. have one. We have a stuffed aardvark called Arne too. So therefore, you know, these are all <laughs> things that come together. What was your favorite Quest for Glory game to work on? Probably the first one, because that one was where we had a, a small team all working together and all synergizing together at the same time in the same place. And every other game after that, we were divided into blocks. The artist's way over there and the programmer's mm. way over there. So it didn't get quite the 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 team spirit and team group that we had for the first game. Whereas for me, working on Quest for Glory 4 was the most fun. Uh, and first of all, I loved the theme and the, uh, you know, the, the dark Transylvania, you know, uh, uh, comedy horror uh, and stuff like that. And 4 was the, uh, was the main one that I was really working on full time as a designer uh, rather than uh, splitting duties between being a programmer or not even being in the project. Quest for Glory 3, uh, almost the entire duration of Quest for Glory 3, I was off in a... Uh, different part of the building, working on a completely separate project, not even involved with, uh, and only got in in the last month or two. And uh, uh, Heroes Quest, I was there, but I was mostly as the programmer. I was leading the programming team and contributed to the design, obviously, but, uh, uh, you know, was distracted. Uh, so 4 was the one that I was really, you know, all there for. Uh, and so I had a really great time uh, putting in the whole uh, Dr. Cranium sequence that was. Uh, uh, based around my uh, Castle Doctor Brain game, uh, and, and uh, I got to put in a lot more uh, uh, puzzle type stuff because I'm, you know, I'm more of the, uh, uh, you know, the puzzles and uh, challenges type thing, whereas Lori is more about uh, story and character. Mm -hmm. And I see uh, Lori a bit on the Facebook groups and forums and stuff like that, answering questions of the fans. She's always very good about. Uh, both of you are very good about uh, addressing fans' questions about the old games. Uh, has there ever been a question that has been asked of you that you actually hadn't thought about and kind of stumped you? There often are, especially when we have character, uh, certain people on Facebook who know more about the games than we do. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I said that 20 years ago. <laughs> 30 or, or years, 30. yeah. I mean, Heroes, Quest, That's right. Heroes Quest came out in 1989. It was at the end of 89, so we're not quite 30 years, but it is more than 30 years since we started working on it in 88. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, uh, we made these games and came up with the, all, the, all the ideas for it. And, of course, the uh, team members contributed stuff, most of which we knew. But every once in a while, probably somebody slipped in something that we never even saw. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and then we had the fans that have played these games obsessively for 20 or 30 years and uh, know every nuance of it. Uh, yeah, whereas we have to rely on this uh, uh, flawed thing called memory. <laughs> uh, we used... Uh, uh, my project before I came to Sierra was a, uh, uh, a desktop publishing system that uh, I was developing independently for the Atari SD computers. Uh, and so when Lori started working on uh, Heroes Quest, uh, that was the tools we were using as we had an Atari ST and a, a laser printer. 
and Lori did all of her uh, design documents stuff on the Atari. Uh, and obviously, uh, that was a, a product that did not make it to market. And so there's, uh, you know, it had its own proprietary file uh, format. And so we obviously do not have any of those documents anymore. You know, I'm kind of curious, going back to, um, you mentioned your, your two uh, favorite Quest for games, respectively, one and four. Uh, is that representative to you as the ones you're also the most proud of, or would that be different? Well, four is such a difficult game. It's certainly the one I love the best. I love the characters, and I love the setting, and I love all the incidental minor characters that come into it, and the story. And yet, when it came out, it was a debacle because it was awful. It was the most buggy game ever set out. It was. It had one week of testing for one of the most complex games that was ever developed at Sierra, and it showed it. It crashed everywhere. I don't know how anybody ever managed to play that first version of the game. And, you know, here it is, my, my proudest moment, my, the game I love the most, and it's destroyed. It's just devastating to the soul. I actually didn't have any problems playing that, actually. I think uh, because I played the disc version that didn't have the voice, perhaps, I think the CD version was the one that had the major game-breaking glitches. No, I would, I would not say so. It was the other way around. Oh, really? The original version on uh, that was the floppy disc-only version, uh, it just had major crashing bugs all through it and uh, a lot of errors. There were, there were hundreds or thousands of... Uh, you know, known documented errors when it released. And what it came down to is we had a meeting in uh, late November, early December, uh, uh, and the uh, lead programmer basically said, you know, my team is completely burned out on this, and we, we really can't work on this anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, management badly needed a, a fall release uh, that year because uh, I think uh, King's Quest or whatever they were working on was running late. Uh, and so they decided to uh, push it out the door, but it really, you know, it came, the game came out in November and it should have come out uh, like the following April. That's that's how much work it still needed at that point. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, the CD version uh, was actually a reprieve for us because uh, uh, first of all, it was awesome uh, working with you know top uh, Hollywood voice actors. Uh, I got to go down to the studio and. Uh, you know, ran the recording equipment and uh, uh, got described. We had a uh, Hollywood director named Stu, Stu Rosen, but he described me as, quote, the talent, unquote, uh, since, uh, as one of the co-authors of the game and uh, kind of cool. Worked with John Rhys-Davis and uh, uh, Joni Gerber, and wonderful, wonderful uh, talented actors and actresses. Uh, uh, but that uh, extra year that it took to uh, record all those voices and break them down and get everything on CD, gave Sierra the opportunity to assign one programmer uh, to uh, uh, go through and fix uh, a lot of the outstanding bugs. So he fixed hundreds of bugs in the game, still didn't get all of them. I mean, the game still can crash uh, as soon as you get outside the cave at the beginning of the game and stuff like that. But uh, uh, he really cleaned it up a lot. Uh, so the uh, I would definitely recommend anyone play uh, play the CD version with the voice. Voices are just amazing. Yeah, I, I concur to that. I love, I love the the talkie versions. But games we're proudest of, I'd I'd say uh, uh, one, two, and four as far as the ones I worked on. Uh, three actually is the only one of the the uh, series that I actually played through beginning to end. Uh, 
and that's because I wasn't working on it. So I came in late and uh, I was brought on to uh, edit and proofread it. And uh, I was just really charmed by the way uh, Laurie had put together the, uh, you know, the story and the characters and the, you know, the, uh, uh, the map and the puzzle elements, I think, uh, really is uh, from a storytelling viewpoint, three may very well be the strongest. Uh, from a puzzle standpoint, I think, uh, uh, you know, one, two, and four, it's, it's hard to choose between them. Yeah, two, uh, two is an awesome game. Uh, it's, it suffered from the fact that it was Sierra's last 16-color game at the uh, beginning of the, uh, the 256-color era. Uh, and uh, it was the last uh, parser input type game at the beginning of the point-and-click era, uh, and so it enjoyed about three months of sales and then disappeared off the uh, map. Oh, and of course, we had little things like uh, uh, Sarah had a little pro problem with uh, trademarking the name uh, Heroes Quest uh, and uh, had to change the name to Quest for Glory, and part of the agreement on that is they were not allowed to say formerly Heroes Quest because the other company that did Advanced Hero Quest uh, did not want any confusion with their game. So uh, all of a sudden you had this game on the market called Quest for Glory 2 when nobody had even ever seen or heard of Quest for Glory 1. So it was like, well, ah, some new game, and uh, I, I guess I didn't play the first one, so I guess I don't want to play this one. So we're amazed anyone played Quest for Glory 2, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it's, but it is a really good game, it's, uh, and it's, I rate it as uh, you know, about equal to Quest for Glory 4 is uh, maybe the best. Quest for Glory 1, uh, Heroes Quest gets the nod because it was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm, very much so. It was so. Uh, really the first game to mix uh, role-playing and adventure gaming. And, uh, uh, you know, and we fit an awful lot of stuff in there into uh, the uh, Sierra language. Remember, games at that point were shipping on 360K floppy disks, uh, and a lot of people did not have hard disks. That wasn't just the distribution medium. They were playing off the disks themselves. Uh, which meant that any critical piece of content had to be repeated on every single disk, which left almost no room for unique content. Uh, uh, so it's really kind of a miracle game that it worked at all. So how did uh, Quest for Glory 5 come to be? Because I believe there was a little bit of a, a little bit of difficulty trying to get that one going. Well, we were fired after game four. Oh. Or to say they broke our contract. And, and our, so that we had this contract for three games and we still had a game on it. But they said, oh, oh, we're not going to make it. We're we're just going to let you go. Mm. And so, mm. therefore, we parted ways with Ken Williams and Sierra forevermore. Or so we thought. And then you can fast forward several years later when Sierra had all moved up north and uh, there was just this building here with a few people still working here and they were their own division of Sierra and they didn't have any games. They had the rights to do the uh, Realm, which was the multiplayer um, role-playing game that they had. And so they needed to do something with that since that was their only uh, brand. and. Uh, they thought the idea, well, nobody up north is doing Quest for Glory. What if we make Quest for Glory part of the realm and do it that way? So we got called out of the blue to come in and discuss it and look at what they're doing and how this could be practical. And basically, we had to tell them, mm -mm, this isn't practical at all. 
basically they had nothing in there in the realm to do stories or quests or any of the things that you really want to play a game for or what I play games for. Yeah, give it, give it another year, we could have done that, but uh, they were trying to release it in two or three months after our meeting. Oh. It was like uh, there were no tools to uh, to put in any content, and you know can't make that a quest for glory. Uh, but of course, it's always the wrong answer. Uh, there's a, a song uh, uh, that goes with the lyrics that goes "Lie, lie, lie to a general, lie to a brigadier," and that's the correct way to work with uh, company management that we didn't quite understand at the time. Is just tell them whatever they want to hear and then take as long as it takes. <laughs> but unfortunately, I was kind of grown up to, I was brought up to tell the truth mm. and kind of kind of hard for me to tell lies, even to management that needs to hear lies. Damn morality, always getting in the way. So they had to work on this stupid thing. And uh, about four months later from that original meeting, they decided, well, maybe we could do a multiplayer uh, quest for glory and they put somebody else in charge of it and that somebody else happened to be Terry Robinson who was you know had been working with us prior to uh, uh, Aunt Sierra knew us and uh, he said I can't do this you have to get Corey and Lori in on this and so therefore uh, they had no product without us and so they called us back in to do quest for glory 5 and that's how it came about. Yeah, unfortunately, it was a little difficult for me because uh, they weren't actually 100% committed to it. They said, well, we're going to explore the possibility of doing Quest for Glory 5. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they invited me to come back in, not to actually work in the product, uh, but to uh, join their systems group and work on their, uh, their new engines. And that just wasn't something I wanted to be doing at the time. Uh, well, you know, it was also that uh, they couldn't promise me more than... Uh, uh, a job for two or three months uh, while they explored this, uh, or possibly longer, but not working on Quest for Glory. Uh, and I had another very lucrative job offer at the time, so I ended up going off to that, and then Lori worked on uh, Quest for Glory 5. And of course, with uh, once again, uh, looking in my crystal ball of, uh, of hindsight, uh, that I should have said, okay, yeah, fine, I'll come in and do that, and uh, probably could have gotten the technology closer to what we needed uh, earlier. Uh, the uh, the development process for Quest for Glory 5 was uh, just kind of crazy. It, uh, it ended up taking, you know, it was designed to take like 18 uh, months and actually took three and a half years. Uh, and millions, you know, in the, uh, the million and a half dollar budget or so uh, turned into a, you know, four and a half million by the end of the project. So it, uh, it, it was a big game. Yeah. Uh, and... And it's, you know, it's flawed graphically. The, the main problem is that uh, we started out with one graphics engine doing a technique called voxels, which looked wonderful. It was just really great until they started actually testing and discovered that uh, you got characters in the foreground and went down to one frame per second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was too slow. Uh, and they ended up, uh, you know, the, the genius uh, system program, they had Eric uh, Langell. Uh, who later created the C3 engine, uh, created a, uh, a 3D, uh, you know, the Voxel engine, then he created a new uh, uh, Polygon uh, graphics engine for it and got it to work, but it just, it, you know, it didn't have the uh, development time of uh, companies like Unreal, that uh, that's all they do is engines. Uh, and uh, uh, so the, the graphics are very, uh, you know, very blocky and unpolished. Uh, 
but uh, you know the gameplay, the storyline, and the characters, and so on. Uh, uh, it's it's really all there. It really is a Quest for Glory game. Absolutely. But a lot of people pass it by because they don't like the look of it. Yeah, I, I I'm really glad that it exists because I I think that was like a, a an amazing send off to the series. Yeah, and it also has a really uh, sophisticated, very sophisticated combat system with all the characters having independent uh, all the all the opponents that you play have independent AI. They aren't just hack and slash. They really do have behaviors and and, uh, fuzzy programming logic to how they'll behave so that you can go to the same area and meet this bunch of brigands and they will not behave the same way that you previously did. And you have to actually think each time you come there. Um, It's not just hack and slash. So the game has a lot going for it. It just doesn't mm-hmm. hold up well if you have to look at it because the <laughs> graphics are so decayed because of how many times we had to redo the art. That's uh, that, that's too bad because it it is absolutely a fantastic game worth playing. And like I said, uh, I was so pleased when I finally got around to it. Like when it finally came out, uh, it even took a few years then for me to get a computer that would run it. And so by that point, I'd already been like many many years detached from Quest for Glory Four, but it was just so going through it again with all the you know the callbacks and references to the previous games and just everything was there it was um it, it was just a perfect way to end yeah very cathartic and then there's the music oh the music for that blows you away you can listen to that soundtrack again and again mm-hmm. um with you know and we even had the full orchestra behind it uh, just it blows away all the music we've ever had for a game before and uh, chance thomas who was our uh, musician had the time, unlike all Sierra games where they just throw the musician on at the last moment. He had the time to create and the money behind him to to create a wonderful CD that you know Sierra had never bothered with before. So there were a lot of really wonderful things that came out of Quest for Glory Five. Yeah, and a lot of that was the fact the game, you know, the process took more than three years, as uh, and he was brought in very early in the project. Gave him time to do that, and we actually uh, have the same situation with Hero You Rogue to Redemption. Is that uh, I very naively uh, said we were going to do a game in a year uh, when I originally put it on Kickstarter, and you know privately thought, okay, it might stretch out to eighteen months or two years. Uh, but it actually took us five and a half years to get the game done. And you know, in one sense, that's you know obviously for budget re- that that's uh, horrific for players that are anxious to play the game. That's that's an awful long time to wait. But uh, you know, five years of development effort meant that Laurie had time to write that whole time. Uh, and so it's got, uh, you know, richer text and dialogue than anything we had done before. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise to have a, a game that runs very, very late uh, if you can take advantage of that time to make the game better. Yeah, absolutely well put. Yeah, I, and I kind of would like to move on to Hero You, but I guess one one last question, at least on my end, uh, f- from digging in the past, would be just first of all, I guess a general statement that I always felt that Quest for Glory, by a by a league, had superior soundtracks to the other Sierra games. Um, that's just my opinion. But you know, Th- Quest for Glory Three, for example, I loved how it had kind of this Turkish neigh, uh, which is you know a Turkish flute, let's say, uh, playing throughout it. It sounded brilliant. Quest for Glory 4 and 5 I actually have on, on my uh, uh, mobile device and listen to occasionally. It's just, just beautiful soundtrack. So I was kind of wondering a question, I guess, to both of you is um, 
what what was your role uh, or direction in creating these soundtracks or you know what kind of input did you have and what would you tell them asking for a friend <laughs> well we were very minimum then because they you know we hardly ever saw the musicians on our games uh we could tell them you know i uh, actually i had more influence over the musician for uh, five where we had chance thomas and he actually had the time to work on it and I did get some, uh, like in Quest for Glory 2, we got a pre-release, you know, uh, uh, we did talk with the uh, um, composer and give him some ideas of what we were doing. But once we did that, it's like, okay, they went off in their universe and did what they wanted to do. Um, we did talk about styles sometimes, but Quest for Glory 4 has these wonderful, you know, Hall of the Mountain King and classics woven into hard rock. So it really comes down to we had some really great musicians at Sierra. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I would actually uh, argue with the idea that, uh, you know, our games were uh, somehow magically that much richer in the music than other Sierra games. Uh, part of it is the fact that we we came in relatively late. So, like... Uh, uh, King's Quest already was on uh, King's Quest 4 uh, uh, at the point where, uh, in fact, uh, let's see, 4 came out before uh, we were even started on uh, on Heroes Quest 1. Uh, so they were on King, King's Quest 5, was in parallel to Quest of Glory 2. Uh, so they had a lot of games that were done previous to us, and I would say King's Quest 4 was the one where they really started getting serious about great music. They had a, a Hollywood composer... Uh, 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 named, uh, uh, okay, so William Goldman, uh, William Goldstein uh, was the uh, composer, I think, for uh, uh, King's Quest Four, and he was in there playing real instruments, and uh, you know, they set up a little, uh, like a, a music classroom style thing for him to, uh, uh, you know, work on the music for that. Uh, and, you know, they were really starting to get serious about, uh, Ken Williams promoted the idea of uh, uh, making music for the uh, Roland MT-30 32 and LAPC one that uh, at that point you know it was unheard of to t you know take a five hundred dollar or a thousand dollar music synthesizer and attach it to a computer just so you could play games. Uh, but uh, Ken said, "Oh, we'll just bundle these in with everyone," and he actually did. Uh, Sierra uh, directly sold a lot of Roland uh, uh, sound boxes um, to put in there, and uh, you know, so Sierra was very serious about having great music. Uh, Mark Siebert was the director of the music department. He was mostly there as a, uh, you know, programmer and technical uh, musician there. But you know, he was also a pretty good musician in his own right. Uh, and uh, he was the uh, main composer behind uh, uh, Quest for Glory One, Heroes Quest, uh, and created that iconic uh, Heroes theme, which is just really great. Uh, and a guy named Chris Brayman came in, and uh, Chris Brayman's uh, wife uh, did, uh, you know. Uh, was part of an international dance troupe, uh, so uh, he was able to bring in that, uh, you know, like Shima's dance music and the, the wonderful uh, uh, Arabian Middle Eastern uh, music in Quest for Glory too. Uh, uh, you know, Rudy Helm, uh, Aubrey Hodges, and uh, uh, Chance Thomas. So we just had, you know, we just got some really good musicians on it, but they worked on, you know, the other Sierra games as well. So I would say, on the whole, that. Uh, Sierra really pushed the idea that music was a critical part of a game, uh, more so than any of the other developers at that stage. So fast forwarding a few years, what got you deciding to go back into the saddle to start on Hero U? We needed the money. 
Uh, it was a matter of the right time, the right place, and everything coming together. Yeah, we had uh, we started hearing. Uh, uh, it was this guy named Tim Schaefer uh, running a company called Double Fine, and of course, formerly from uh, LucasArts. Uh, and uh, the uh, Tim put up the uh, Double Fine uh, put up the Double Fine Adventure, they called it at the time, and that was just going to be a little like three or four room prototype adventure game that wasn't actually going to be about a game. It was going to be about the process of how do you make an adventure game. And they had uh, two-player productions coming in and doing the documentary video on it. Uh, and that came on to Kickstarter and just blew everyone away. It was, uh, you know, they asked for, I think, three or 400000 and they ended up getting $2.3 million uh, and 80,000 backers for that thing. Uh, and we started getting uh, all kinds of... Uh, People phoning us, sending us emails, and posting on Facebook and saying, uh, "Hey, go look and see what Tim Schaefer just did. Uh, you know, you guys got to do this. You got to make a new uh, Quest for Glory." Uh, of course, we couldn't make a new Quest for Glory. Uh, Activision, uh, we did, we did his work for hire uh, for uh, Sierra, and Activision uh, owns all those uh, rights. Uh, and Activision has been notoriously completely uninterested in having anyone license them from them. So. Uh, We've we've talked with uh, three other companies that have gone to Activision, tried to license Quest for Glory to make a, a Quest for Glory six or whatever, and uh, you know they've just turned everyone down. Uh, so, uh, but they said, you know, you guys have got to come back. You know, we'll all buy your game, and uh, and we said, okay, yeah, this Kickstarter thing's interesting. And uh, I said, but I don't want to do another uh, computer game. It's insane making a computer game, making a computer game without the support of a publisher. Oh my God, you know. We we knew how much work and, and stress that is, and so I said, well, I'll take my old D and D module, Tower of Indom Indomitable Circumstance, a Tower of Indomitable Circumstance that I did back in the uh, late 70s, and uh, uh, I'll do a new version of that for Pathfinder, uh, and uh, we'll you know, we'll uh, we'll sell that on Kickstarter. And then I said, well, okay, Laurie uh, co-wrote a book called uh, 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 by the book was How to Be a Hero uh, series. Uh, that eventually led to the School for Heroes. Uh, and uh, that one, uh, you know, was completed, but never really polished, it needed editing and so on. So I said, okay, we'll get the rewrites done on that, and then we'll uh, do a Kickstarter for your book. Uh, but all the fans kept saying, make a game, make a game. We want a new game. <laughs> Reading so boring. <laughs> no, they're just, uh, they just want us to open up our veins spill our blood out into their computer screens for them. Uh, so one of the fans, uh, Andrew Golding uh, from uh, Australia, I think Melbourne, uh, uh, came along and said, uh, hey, I've done these two games and uh, I, will, uh, I will develop this game for you. I'll, I'll run the team, I'll do all the work, and all you got to do is uh, write and design. And we said, cool, okay, well, in that case, we'll do the game. Uh, and that was kind of the, uh, the impetus for us. Uh, we'd also been working uh, with a guy named uh, Oded Sharon, uh, uh, Australian uh, game developer. I'm mean, sorry, Israeli. Is Oded Sharon of Israel, uh, who uh, uh, ran a gaming company there. And uh, so we had done some uh, consulting work for him on a uh, game based on uh, Bob Marley's life uh, that eventually made it out as uh, Bolt Riley. But uh, unfortunately, Bolt Riley does not actually include any of the parts we worked on. So it was like uh, part one, and we uh, we had written part two of the game. Uh, so uh, uh, and Oded was really hot on us doing a Kickstarter for a game with them, uh, and 
yeah, we weren't sure. So we wanted to make our own games. Uh, so uh, with everybody telling us you got to make games, we said, okay, well, why not? Uh, we need the money. Maybe if we do a Kickstarter, people will throw money at us. And, and all we have to do is uh, do like Tim Schafer did and ask for 400000 and uh, people will come out with 2 or $3 million for us, and, uh, uh, and we'll be able to pay our mortgage. <laughs> uh, and, of course, instead what happened is we discovered that Kickstarter is really, really hard. Uh, so we spent, uh, you know, uh, four weeks beforehand, another four weeks during the Kickstarter and, and six years after that, uh, uh, pushing the game in order to just barely get to our $400,000 mark. And we knew, I mean, our, our budget, we did the budget beforehand. We had an $800,000 budget. Uh, but we said, if we ask for 800000 on Kickstarter, we won't get it. And it's all or nothing. So we got the 400000 to make an $800,000 game. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, once again, if we'd had the uh, reverse crystal ball and I could uh, see into the future, or regular crystal ball, uh, I would say, okay, now we've got to go and get investors to cover the rest of the expense. Uh, and instead, we, uh, you know, we basically did everything on a, on a shoestring. Well, definitely wouldn't notice from the final product, that's for sure. Um, I, you know, I was, I was kind of curious. Um, uh, the pre prelude to what I'm going to say is, is based on the idea of wondering uh, how you look at a blank sheet of paper and from there flesh out the actual idea that, that would become Hero You Rogue to Redemption. But what I'm curious about is that there's a clear ex um, connection between, you know, Quest for Glory and... and um, uh, well, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is the hero's tale, um, or better yet, uh, kind of the hero's journey uh, that Joseph Campbell comes to mind. Um, I'm wondering if, well, I guess, first of all, it was Joseph Campbell an inspiration to you? And, and furthermore, you know, what is it about uh, the hero's journey that, that really inspires you to write? Well, let me hit the first part of that, and then I'll let Laurie hit the second part. Uh, the first part is uh, I read uh, something by a science fiction author one time, and uh, uh People said, you know, how do you go from a blank sheet of paper to writing these amazing books? He said, oh, it's really easy. You just take a very uh, dull knife or a, uh, a sharpened spoon works well and uh, use it to cut open your veins and bleed onto the paper until you have a, <laughs> have a book done. Uh, <laughs> which, basically, which basically says it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of uh, uh, stress and a lot of second guessing yourself. But you work and you work and you work and uh, refine and eventually you end up with something. Uh, uh, but uh, Laurie can talk about the hero's journey. Yeah, uh, we weren't actually familiar with Joseph Joseph Campbell's the, uh, premises when we started out writing Quest for Glory games and the Hero Quest. But we loved adventure games. We loved good stories, and you know the essence of many and many a good story is the hero's journey. Uh, Joseph Campbell was only describing what you know, the things that resonate deeply within the human soul. And uh, so therefore, we wanted to make, I mean, the important part of making a game was to tell a story that does resonate on an on a unconscious level that inspires people, you know, that they feel like, yes, this is what I'd love, well, this is what I appreciate. And so that's what we were trying to do with our games, you know, basically put in this feeling of adventure and the feeling of accomplishment and the things that everyone really wants to to be a hero in their own heart uh, and and we just love the concept of the hero in the first place uh, and the idea that everyone can be a hero uh, and that it's all about it's you know it's not about uh, you know somehow being uh, you know stronger and 
smarter and faster than everyone else. It's about basically being willing to, uh, you know, put your life on the line and do what it takes to do what needs to be done. The importance of the individual that, you, you know, you don't do what other people tell you to do because they tell you to do it. You do it because, uh, you know, you, you know what's right and you do what is right. Uh, and that resonated through our games. And uh, we actually used uh, words like archetype uh, that were Joseph Campbell words, even though we hadn't read his stuff at the time. Uh, we'd probably read der derivative stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it was all about being a hero. Uh, and that informed uh, kind of the structure of all the games. So we ended up with the hero's journey without knowing it. <laughs> You know, prophesized it. That's really cool. So, um, would uh, kind of this is like a, a timepiece of a question, but what were some notable differences in the like, creating Hero You Rogue to Redemption versus creating uh, the first Hero's Quest? Um, you know, both in the technology limitations uh, through adapting to what you could work with now, like, you know, what were some really standout sort of adjustments that had to be made to tackle a, a new game and a new era? Well, for one thing, had to start from scratch with everything. Um, La Sierra, you went into the company and they already had all the artists in place, all the, the tools in place that you needed to make a game. And so, at, you know, and the musician in the background, everything. And uh, here, we were suddenly on our own having to find all these things and start all over again with uh, nobody in charge but us. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we got into Sierra. At, uh, you know, I've I've always said we got there at the perfect time for what we wanted to do. Uh, and that's uh, 1988. Uh, they have made they had made several games with their AGI engine. Uh, they were just developing the more sophisticated SCI uh, game development engine. And uh, I actually that was my first job. So I worked on that and I uh, uh, adapted it to the Atari ST. We started Sierra at a you know a time when they. The tools were becoming much more sophisticated, uh, and the artists uh, mostly knew what they were doing, uh, and uh, and the whole focus was on uh, story and puzzles and uh, you know and art and music and so on. There was uh, almost all the games up till then had been uh, independent, uh, one-off efforts of uh, uh, people developing their own, you know basically taking the basic technology and then developing the games from the ground up. Uh, when we came in at Sierra, uh, uh, they were beyond that uh, that starting phase, and they had tools that were designed to make any number of games uh, with SCI that uh, uh, you know would all follow that same template of you know having typed in text and having uh, backgrounds and moving characters and so on, uh, and you know all the tools were in place. So our entire focus on Heroes Quest. Uh, all right, 70% of our focus on Heroes Quest was just about, uh, you know, writing the story and the the puzzles and so on, and uh, and getting, you know, and working with the uh, team of artists and programmers to get it to work. Uh, the other piece of that that wasn't there was uh, uh, the fact that we were making a role playing game, and our mandate was to uh, create uh, Sierra's first role playing game since Ultima II, uh, and. Uh, uh, so, but because I had worked on the system side, is uh, and you know I understood role-playing games uh, intimately. Is I was able to build a, an object-oriented layer on top of SCI that did all the uh, stats and skills, and combat system, and all that stuff. And it really, you know, to me at least, was not that hard. Uh, uh, but you know, because we had the tools in place, we were able to really focus on 
telling the story and uh, writing the dialogue and stuff like that. Uh, and it wasn't about developing the basic technology. Uh, when we got the quest for, uh, and of course, Sarah pulled the rug out from under us every single game. Uh, we we never had quite the same tools and uh, technology each one. Something always, major always changed, but uh, Quest for Glory 5 was the biggest change where uh, they decided SCI had grown old, uh, long of tooth, and they uh, decided to write the game in C++ and uh, develop all the technology from the ground up. And uh, nobody remembered uh, how many years millions of dollars have been put into a building SCI and they really had to reduplicate all that work in addition to making a game. So that's why uh, Quest for Glory 5 was a, a much harder effort than the previous ones. But but yeah, we got there at the right time in the right place to be able to uh, uh, create games where the whole emphasis was on uh, you know telling a story and uh, making it look good and it was not on uh, how do you uh, how do you get pixels onto the screen and how do you uh, get uh, data onto a floppy disk. That Those were problems that were already solved right, by Right, right. I'm kind of imagining in my head uh, on the other side of things and with Hero U, it sounds almost like uh, uh, the embodiment of a, a real-life uh, uh, adventure game where, where you start with no inventory and you have to gather up you know, all your tools and all your team and start smashing items together to, to come up with a product. Because um, like you said, Sierra had all the tools in place, whereas with Hero U, um, all of a sudden you got to gather everything up and... and you know, make it work and orchestrate the entire process. Well, have you heard the uh, story about uh, 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 Bill Gates died one day and uh, uh, got taken on a tour of heaven and hell? And uh, when he went down to uh, heaven, there were all these uh, people sitting around in robes and playing harps, and it all seemed kind of boring to him. And then he got down to see hell, and they had, you know, uh, you know a, a disco and rock music going and uh, all kinds of exciting things. And, uh, you know, uh, virtual reality, computer games, and everything was absolutely amazing. So he said, oh, heck, I'll, I'll take hell. And then he actually got there and discovered, no, he got thrown into a fiery pit to uh, uh, dig up uh, coals. And he said, this isn't what you showed me. He said, oh, well, don't you know, that was the demo version. <laughs> this is the real game. Uh, so Hero U, we started out with the demo version. We got to see that... Uh, there was this game, MacGuffin's Curse. It was a fully working game and had been developed in uh, Unity 3D. Uh, and uh, we were told that Unity could handle uh, 2D as well as 3D. And that uh, was the t tool. And we said, oh, okay, we know what that is. We worked at Sierra. We had SCI, and that was our toolkit for making uh, adventure games. Well, Unity is a really, really powerful tool. It can do amazing things. Uh, what it isn't, is a tool specifically designed to make 2D adventure games. Mm. Uh, and uh, that we discovered uh, when we started to work with it that, uh, you know, and especially when, uh, you know, our, our original team lead left the, left the team, uh, uh, he very generously offered to let us use all of his source code from his previous game. Uh, but, you know, new people coming in didn't really want to do that. They had their own ideas of what they wanted to build. And our fans had their own ideas that they wanted to see a Sierra-like game. Uh, uh, and we discovered that Unity really was not the best tool for that. So, you know, it was basically, you know, we had uh, a pair of pliers <laughs> and we needed a screwdriver. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so we did have to reinvent a lot of stuff. And, and it also had to, has to do, as we said, the team makes the game. So uh, we got in, uh, you know, the artists we could find, and we wanted to find people that could do the... Uh, uh, detailed, sophisticated uh, 2D character animation, 
that we'd had at Sierra, and we envisioned the you know, all the tools that Sierra had that made it very easy to animate those characters. And we discovered that uh, uh, there are two types of 2D artists these days. Uh, there's the types that are uh, employed, making a lot of money working for Disney in places. Uh, and there are the people that don't actually know how to make a commercial uh, product uh, with their 2D stuff. Uh, we just couldn't find anyone. We had, uh, you know, a couple of very enthusiastic volunteers that, you know, could do like little, uh, you know, 8-bit, you know, or uh, uh, 16-color uh, tiny characters uh, animating, and that just did not have the degree of sophistication we were looking for. We wanted to have to do full color and everything Plus, else. we had things uh, like the, the engines. We, could, we didn't have an animation engine. And so we looked out for, for commercial products that had animation uh, engines. And one of the ones we explored for a while was the one that uh, did things like a puppet. And all the pieces of the character's body were broken into segments. And then you animated the segments. And just like you were doing a marionette. And the funny thing with that style of animation is it looks like you've got a stupid marionette moving <laughs> on the screen. And it was like, this just doesn't look like a, you know, like anything Sierra ever did. And we were being held to a standard. We couldn't make something that looked worse than a game that was made 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You know, maybe it uh, shows our inflexibility as we possibly could have made a very stylistic game doing that. And there are, you know, there are some very stylistic uh, games out there uh, that, uh, uh, you know, do not look in the least bit realistic, but are really pretty cool. Uh, but we had a, you know, we had this vision of uh, making a game that was like a Sierra game with uh, very, you know, pseudo-realistic characters. Uh, and we had our original, uh, you know, paintings of the characters and so on, uh, as still paintings that looked really good, and we wanted to animate them. And it just wasn't working out. We did get uh, one experienced uh, uh, 2D animator, uh, and unfortunately, a few months after he started the project, uh, he got an offer he couldn't refuse from Electronic Arts, uh, and for, you know, twice the money, and we couldn't compete with that on a very low budget. Uh, so... Uh, we had originally said we do not want to go 3D. We remembered, you know, the disaster that was Quest for Glory 5 uh, production uh, uh, as our first uh, 3D game. Uh, and people said, no, 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 it's not like that. Unity is, you know, really sophisticated. You can do 3D animation. It's a lot easier and faster than it used to be. And eventually we bit the bullet and said, okay, this is going to be a 3D game. And we had a much easier time finding 3D animators. Well, we contracted uh, out all our art and our animation at the initial. We basically found a company in China uh, that actually would do these things for us. So, so that's how we did it. We basically went to the China's Chinese company, and they gave us our characters all done in 3D. And yes, Unity could handle that easier than it could handle the 2D stuff at the time. And uh, then we uh, had to look at our backgrounds, and our backgrounds really weren't working either. And we had to go to a 3D background. And, you know, we just had to keep reinventing what we were doing because we hit the wall of reality of what we didn't know, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, of course, you know, again, with our... Uh crystal ball that they unfortunately do not issue to game developers we could have said in the beginning okay obviously we're gonna to have to make this a 3d game but it was not in the least bit obvious in 2012 or 2013 that we needed to uh, 
to go with full 3D. Right. And so we wait, essentially wasted two years of development. And I, I won't say totally wasted because what we got was a lot of really nice prototypes and we got the, uh, you know, the ideas of the scenes, the characters. And meanwhile, Laurie was writing her head off, uh, you know, writing all kinds of uh, text dialogue for the game. So we got a good head start of the game during those two years. But that was the, you know, we originally said was how long the entire game was going to take and instead it turned into the prototype phase. Then we started over in uh, 2000 or 2015. Beginning of 2015, we started over in 3D. Uh, July 2015, we ran a second Kickstarter and got some supplementary cash. Uh, and uh, really thought we'd be done with the game by uh, the end of 2016. And instead, we were still struggling with stuff. We were about a third of the way through then. And uh, early 2017, we started uh, uh, doing serious playtesting. And it took uh, close to a year of uh, alpha and beta testing uh, before we really had everything in place and everything tested. In 2018, July, we finally released the game. That's that's really cool insight into you know kind of evolving with the times and and like like you kind of said, it's bending and flexing to make things work as they're in flux. Um, I'm kind of wondering on on the other side of things, on the kind of creative writing side of things, uh, Sean O'Connor. Um, Star of Rogue to Redemption, how did, from the period that you were peer pressured by fans into making a game, um, peer pressure does work, man, it's tough. Um, from the from the time that you were that you were just begged to, to make a game, rightfully, rightfully so, I'm so glad you did, um, to the point of beginning production, where was Sean's character? Did he exist yet? Did you have, you know, a fleshed out idea of what you would do? Or did you kind of pull him out of a hat and then start to develop him? Well, when we were going into the Kickstarter, we had actually tried uh, several years before to create a uh, a kind of like a text adventure style game um, with simplified graphics. And we had this story set in uh, the School for Heroes and we had characters developed and it was all about this young woman who was going to be a wizard and all the characters and her crazy roommate and all sorts of interesting things. And we had the whole story world. I had the whole story worked out. And so when we started the Kickstarter, that was my thought that we would go in and we could actually have that as the overlaying story over this 2D flat, you know, top-down adventure that was supposed to be roguelike. And um, unfortunately, people... Well, she had a very stupid husband who said, oh, well, people just say that we're uh, doing a clone of uh, Harry Potter because we've got a school for wizards and uh, uh, stuff. So uh, so I said, OK, well, first of all, let's age the characters. Let's make it a university instead of a uh, high school. And uh, uh, and let's uh, let's do a different story. Let's do the, uh, the rogue story instead of the wizard story. So basically made me start all over <laughs> from scratch. So, yes, by the time we started. The uh, the two months prior to the Kickstarter, we had I had to reinvent what I, the kind of game I was going to make. And in hindsight, uh, you know, if I'd been a a smarter marketing person, uh, it would not have been a bad thing to make a game that was perceived as a Harry Potter clone and that go for both the Quest for Glory market and the Harry Potter market. Uh, but at the time, we wanted to differentiate, uh, and we came up with. Lori came up with a really interesting story about a uh, 
you know, a young man who's, uh, you know, out on the streets and uh, gets approached to uh, uh, become a thief and thinks, oh, that'll be pretty cool. I could become a thief and make a living at it. Uh, and came up with the whole storyline, and we said, oh, that, that's a really fun storyline. Let's make that game. How's, how have the receptions been for Hero U? It's been really good. Uh, you know, we have, a, we have, of course, a few haters. Uh, there are a few haters for every game, but uh, uh, our review scores have been running in the 80 to 90% range, uh, which is just really dramatically good for an indie effort uh, like ours, or actually for a, uh, a AAA commercial game, for that matter. Uh, so we've gotten very good reviews. Uh, the, the comments on Steam and uh, GOG, uh, uh, really very positive. We have a very positive is uh, the term for it, rating. Uh, so uh, people do like the game. Unfortunately, uh, not very many people have discovered it. Uh, so our, uh, our sales are lagging way behind where we thought they were. And uh, uh, it did not uh, meet the goal of, uh, uh, you know, uh, paying our bills. Uh, but it has met, uh, made, you know, met the goal of us making a, a game that we're proud of and that uh, fans really like. Uh, so we are you know, trying to make more. Yeah, and when we came into this thing, we wanted to, you know, we had, we thought we were making one game when we started the first Kickstarter. And, and by the end of the Kickstarter, we realized, no, really, we are, our fans, the people that are actually supporting us, want a Quest for Glory game. And so we'll give them something as close to a Quest for Glory as we can, but we didn't, we, you know, Quest for Glory, the main character was your was an avatar of yourself. We never put words in his mouth. We just let you imagine it. And there was no personality to that character. So the main character of the whole game series had no character. (laughs) And that's a very different way of looking at how to tell a story when you have a no personality person that you're writing about. And in hindsight, it's kind of unbelievable that it worked. Mm Mm-hmm. So here we are coming to Hero U, and I really wanted to take the tip from how Monkey Island did it, because I really enjoyed the Monkey Island, the first game of the Monkey Island with Guybrush Threepwood, was just such a great character, and he gave the game life. So to me, I really kind of wanted to do a game that style with a strong central character who had distinct personalities because he could be, you know, snarky or he could be sweet. But that was what was telling the story, not just this anonymous, you know, uh, ambiguous character. And that's just Mm -hmm. a different style. And we were going with things like in the previous games you could ask anything and just keep getting the same answers back so you never had to remember anything but for this one we wanted a fluid more realistic stuff so that the the text flowed from what you talked about and dialogue could go in very different ways but you could never actually go back and see what you what you would have happened if you said something else and so we were creating a very, very different game. And again, we have no clue when we're working on this and when we're creating this, whether anybody will like what we're doing. I mean, they mm-hmm. wanted a Quest for Glory game, and we were giving them something that vaguely resembled a Quest for Glory game. <laughs> and so it was, was a great deal of a relief when we found out the fans actually liked what we were doing, even though they said, oh, well, this isn't what we were expecting. Well, 
no, it isn't what you were expecting, but it's what you got. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think it's an exaggeration to say it only vaguely resembles Request for Glory. Um, Part of what we have, the funny thing is the, uh, uh, the writer who did not work on any of the Quest for Glories, but did work with us on uh, Sonara, uh, is uh, the uh, hilariously funny Josh Mandel. And uh, Josh was uh, the uh, main writer on uh, uh, Freddie Farkas' uh, Frontier Pharmacist, along with Al Lowe, uh, and uh, used to be a stand-up comedian before he uh, uh, came to work at Sierra. Uh, and uh, he had uh, uh, done the uh, Least Shoot Larry Reloaded with Al, uh, and uh, was kind of burned out on that. Uh, took a year away from social media. When he came back, I, I contacted him and said, I don't suppose you'd consider uh, doing writing for another game. And uh, surprisingly, uh, he came on. And uh, Josh ended up writing, oh, almost all, let's say 90% of all the messages for uh, like interacting with torch sconces and bookcases and statues and everything in the game. Uh, and just did all the stuff that you know, uh, I tried to do in the in Quest for Glory, um, but didn't have time to do in this game. And uh, so Josh really uh, brought back that Quest for Glory ambiance. So it's funny that you know the person who did not work in Quest for Glory really is uh, the strongest <laughs> Quest for Glory writer we had, uh, and added a lot of silliness and fun to the game uh, that I think does a nice job. Because you know it's a, that's the model. It's the model we used for all the Quest for Glory games and for Hero U. Uh, is we're telling a very serious story. There's uh, the games really are dramatic. Uh, uh, this is uh, you know, Hero You Rogue Redemption is a, a coming of age story for a uh, uh, a young man, uh, you know, 18 or so, who's uh, uh, you know uh, comes from a poor family, has been living in the streets, and now he's uh, brought into this university of, for heroes, and doesn't feel like he's any sort of a hero, uh, but you know he's going to try. Uh, or at least try not to flunk out, and uh, uh, you know, it's uh, then all sorts of things happen. You know, one of the students uh, uh, disappears. Uh, the pe- people's lives are in danger. There's monsters roaming the hallways. There's this stuff going on that's pretty serious. Uh, and you've got this uh, wisecracking uh, uh, young man who is not a you know not a superior warrior or anything like that, um, trying to. Uh, uh, you know, trying to fix these problems, uh, but you know, we didn't. We don't want it to be heavy. We don't want it to be a. You know, it's it's not a horror game. It's not a. Uh, uh, you know, deadly serious story. Uh, and all the uh, incidental writing. So the characters Laurie has written are very evocative, and uh, uh, some of them, like Sean's roommate uh, Aeolus, is a uh, actual uh, bard student, and uh, is just constantly making puns and stuff, because that's what bards do, uh, and interacting with all the objects in the game. You know, it's just a, for, for players that love to explore and discover, there's discovery everywhere in the game. Every object, everything, anywhere in the game is interactable, uh, probably uh, 50 times as much interaction as you had in a quest for glory, uh, and just so much to learn and discover. Uh, and a lot of it is just there for fun. So it's not uh, it's not a goal-directed, everything furthers your advancement through the game. Most of it is there just for fun. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of the mix that Quest for Glory did and that we did again in Hero U. So in that sense, the games are the same type of game. Uh, but at the same time, Hero U uh, has big differences. 
one of them is the game is much more structured because you are a student at a university. You have classes to go to. Uh, you have meals at certain times. Uh, uh, there's a, a curfew, uh, which which you quickly learn you could break. Everybody is supposed to be in bed at 10, and the uh, first thing you do after you uh, go to your room at 10 o'clock is you sneak out again and uh, adventure till 1 in the morning, uh, which is uh, actually based on uh, Lori and me is we never get to bed before midnight. Uh, uh, Development-wise, that was the uh, worst worst mistake we have, would have made. A uh, midnight bedtime would have made a whole lot of, of the testing. Uh, probably would have cut out a third of the bugs in the testing. Is uh, that one hour? That one hour really kills you. Uh, that's because it's uh, 12, 12.30 in the morning on day nineteen. But as far as the flow of the game is concerned, it's really day eighteen. Right. Yeah. And I, I love the the open world sort of feel that the game has. You know, that's why I fell in love with adventure games way way back when was because it had you know this feeling of of like you said when. Uh, I like when things aren't so uh, uh, heavy on objective, where you can just wander around and find little things that, that programmers or Josh Mandel thought to write into the game. It just makes it all the more engrossing. And, and now I just want to go back and play it again and skip a meal and see if I'm hungry enough to come up with an awful waffle walker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so so the uh, big differences between uh, Quest for Glory and Hero U, first of all, we've got that, you know, that day-to-day structure. There are uh, events that happen in the game that are set to day 13, something happens, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what you've done before that, and then your interaction with it. Uh, the Having the main viewpoint characters, Laurie mentioned, Sean O'Connor is a, a distinct personality, or maybe one of three distinct personalities, depending was whether you play him as charming, smart, or snarky. Uh, and uh, the other thing is the importance of dialogue and the other characters in the game. Quest for Glory, we had a very limited amount of uh, memory to, to play with, and so your characters really were not that much different from the, uh, 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 you know, from a uh, a bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, right. You, know, you talk to the cent- you talk to the centaur farmer. He has a purpose in the game, and his purpose is to reveal the storyline about uh, the brigand leader uh, having some surprising attributes, and that uh, you know uh, the brigand leader is supposedly uh, you know this terrible person, but uh, actually insist on helping the centaur farmer and, uh, you know, uh, uh, fixing his broken leg and stuff like that, and uh, really is not that bad a person. So that's, you know, you get some very important story elements from it. But other than that, the character isn't really much of a character. Whereas in Hero U, uh, you've got uh, 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 Katie, uh, the pirate's daughter, uh, and, uh, you know, she's got a whole backstory uh, she has her own goals and interests. Uh, she's, you know, she's not there to become a hero. She's there to find a way to uh, earn enough money to, uh, uh, you know, create a a rest home for uh, retired sailors. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, that's not her. That's one of her many uh, goals. Uh, uh, but the point is that she's got her, her own storyline, uh, her own goals. You are interacting with them, and you get to really explore in depth the character. It's not just a uh, you know, you meet the person once in his uh, field, and then after that, every time you visit him, he's doing the same thing. Right. So characters progress and change throughout this game. Their uh, their dialogue changes every day, uh, and you know that's the uh, tens of thousands of lines of uh, dialogue that Laurie wrote. Uh, it is a you know a gigantic uh, game, but it's a you know it's a gigantic game that where we tried to make the characters tried to make the characters alive and real, uh, and uh, uh, you know, meaningful. So your relationship with uh, the other students is as important as uh, 
did you defeat the monster? Yeah. And in fact, you can actually get through the game without fighting a single monster. That's right. Um, it's really hard. It makes the game ten times as hard, but it can be done. <laughs> so what's the um, so what are your current plans for moving forward with the Hero U series? Well, because you're currently working on um, you're currently working on Summer Days. Yes, Summer Days at Hero U, which is a very different style game, a very different appearance game, a very simpler game in a lot of ways, uh, because it would be, you know, nice to have a game out in the next year or so and not take five years to do a game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I have a little bit of problem because uh, we uh, we actually took some pre-orders for Hero U2 Wizard's Way uh, when we did the original Kickstarter. And little did we know that it was going to take us, you know, six years to deliver the first one. Uh, uh, so let alone the second one. And frankly, the, you know, the... Uh, the sales we've had don't justify doing Wizards Way right now. So uh, we're going to, our plan actually is everybody that pre-ordered uh, Wizards Way will get uh, uh, Summer Days at Who Are You. Um, and then uh, we'll see what uh, what Kickstarter will do for us. So if we could actually go back on uh, uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or one of those sites and uh, run a $1 million Kickstarter for the next game, then yeah, we could do Wizards Way. Uh, but uh, you know we cannot afford to deficit finance another game. We we, we have a lot of personal funds and uh, our retirement savings stuff like that. And we got bailed out at the uh, very last minute, January 2018. Uh, uh, out of the blue, we had a Quest for Glory fan show up uh, uh, who had uh, inherited some money and uh, wanted to invest in uh, uh, Rogue to Redemption. And well, it turns out it was a terrible investment for him, but it was a lifesaver for us. Uh, and uh, you know he came in and. Uh, uh, got us the funding that got us to launch. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we've done uh, actually five revisions since the initial launch. Uh, uh, last one was in uh, February of 2019. We delivered uh, version 1.5, which uh, we think is the final version, except uh, we're still working on Rogue Redemption. I'm doing uh, uh, German and French and uh, Chinese translations that we're going to put up. And there may be other changes in the future, but mostly we're trying to focus on the future. So Summer Days at Hero U is uh, is just is turning into an absolutely beautiful game, and it's a very different style. It's like if we took the essence of a Quest for Glory or Hero U and boiled it down to, you know, here are the key scenes. Uh, and we did that actually in Hero U a little. We have what we call a vignette, which is where we have a still painting that illustrates an important event in the game. Uh, so Summer Days is all vignettes. Uh, we have the uh, you know the scene in the dining hall or the scene at the festival. Uh, that's your background, and then we have the characters popped up on top of that. Uh, and uh, we have all the dialogue and all the choices and all the interaction that we had in uh, Hero Your Request for Glory. Uh, but it's against these still backgrounds, so the the focus is on the story and the words. Uh, uh, and uh, the game is just so beautiful. And then. Uh, uh, we've got this uh, this guy named Paul Corman who's working uh, with us on uh, uh, music to make sure that we've got an amazing soundscape underneath it. Uh, so it's going to be a really neat game, uh, and it is something that we can do in a, a, a year to a year and a half, uh, and we'll have out sometime in 2020, uh, like we originally promised for uh, uh, Rogue Redemption, because we've we've gotten rid of all the complications that that drive development. Uh, into the stratosphere we don't you know we don't have uh 
complicated 3D backgrounds. We don't have to have fully animated characters walking around. Uh, we'll just have spot animation to make the, you know, bring some life to the scenes. But, uh, uh, you know, it's really all about the story. It's all about the dialogue and the interaction. Uh, and Summer Days is going to have all that. And we think it's going to be an amazing game. Uh, but uh, it's not a, uh, you know, gigantic soul-destroying uh, monstrosity of development effort like we did on uh, uh, Quest for Glory 5 or uh, or Hero You Road mm-hmm. to Redemption. So if you, uh, if you, like, won the lottery and so money was no issue, like, you won the lottery twice even, <laughs> yeah, so you, could, you have basically bottomless pit of funding, what would be your vision of the series in terms of the future installments? Well, with our uh, new home and car and uh, sitting there uh, playing World of Warcraft, <laughs> I don't know that we'd have any time to make a game. Honestly, as I, you know, we've actually thought about this question before, and uh, basically we would be doing just what we're doing now, well, except we'd have the money to do it. We would make Summer Days at Hero U, then we would make Wizard's Way, and uh, then, in between Wizard's Way and the Warrior game, we would make another small, different style game, which was small scale and wasn't so grandiose or, or huge production, uh, and make a nice, interesting short game to do, a sh- you know, to get funding and, and build up for the next game. And then we would do, you know, a constant uh, thing of this. So we have a Wizard's game, we have the Warrior's game. We have the Paladins game, and we really have the story kind of plotted out of how these are going to go. And then the next game in the series would be a kind of a culmination where you could play Sean or you could play Nona from the Wizards game or, you know, and the other games and alternate between them as you try to uh, save the world from total destruction. Because at that point, we built up the story to you know, it gets more and more dangerous as the series goes on. Mm -hmm. So we do have all these games plotted out in that sense. Yeah, so doing exactly what we were going to do, but not uh, bankrupting ourselves or losing our shirts uh, uh, at it, uh, uh, is a great stress reliever. And in a sense, stress is kind of important for game development, but we have plenty of ways of uh, being under stress with the actual uh, uh, production without having to worry about external factors. Uh, So that's what we do with a few million. If we had Many millions, you know, if we uh, suddenly, somebody, one of our games uh, made it onto, uh, uh, you know, uh, New York Times, and some other places, and everybody started uh, buying uh, hundreds of thousands of copies on, and we actually made real money from it, uh, then we would do all that. And in addition, uh, we would be a little bit of a, uh, a publisher that would uh, uh, let some of our other developers have great ideas of their own, uh, make the games they want to make, and we could, uh, you know, help them develop that and put some money into it. Uh, and we would also, uh, I think have, uh, more sophistication. We, you know, we just have bigger teams, more people working on the games and, uh, we would get better animation and more of it and, uh, uh, be able to, uh, really bring the games to life. Uh, you know, maybe get into virtual reality at some point, but I'm not even sure, you know, we're ready for that, uh, that we may not be the right people to do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, uh, you know, making what we're making, but on a comfortable budget so that we don't have to compromise. Uh, absolutely one of the things we would do is bring in voice acting. And we intentionally did not put voice acting into Hero U. That, that was a decision we made very early on. Uh, and the reason for that is because we've heard a lot of games ruined by uh, amateur voice acting. Uh, so we love having voice. I mean, Quest for Glory 4 was 
uh, amazing process working with the actors. Uh, but it's got to be professional. Uh, it's got to be high quality and the right people with the right voices and great production values. Uh, and because this game is twice as large as Quest for Glory 4, which was known as the uh, CD-ROM from hell because it was so big, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it will cost quite a bit to uh, do professional voice acting on. And in fact, the translations, you know, I originally ruled out because uh, uh, we were being quoted uh, 10 cents a word, and that's the, you know, uh, uh, 450,000-word game, you know, $50,000 per language. We said, we can't do that. Uh, but we've actually had uh, uh, volunteers uh, come on that uh, are willing to compromise uh, uh, with us and, and do the production much lower and maybe take some royalties on, the, on their language version and so on. Uh, so we're actually getting the translation done at a price that we still can't afford, but you know, at least uh, we're willing to take out loans to do that and maybe it'll pay mm -hmm. for itself. And in the meantime, you've been doing live streams of playing through the old Quest for Glory games. Well, it's, it's awesome fun. You know, when we started doing this, Laurie came up with the idea of doing these live streams. And I was like, you're crazy. We got so much on our plate already. We don't have time to do this and prepare for it. Uh, and uh, we actually had uh, uh, a fan, Roberta Vaughn, came in. And uh, uh, and I, I checked some checkboxes because I didn't really understand the tools. And apparently one of the checkboxes I, uh, I checked uh, uh, connected us to our PayPal account so that people could make donations. And we were actually blown away getting uh, hundreds of dollars of donations uh, during the live stream. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, if we did the live streams three days a week, we could actually fully fund the game, but we can't do mm -hmm. that many. Uh, so we're, we're just very uh, delighted with the generosity of our fans. Uh, we're going to give you more opportunities to be generous. We're working on uh, setting up a Patreon page uh, because we, we do constantly have people saying, you know, I just want to contribute uh, to your doing uh, stuff and, uh, you know, wish you had a Patreon or something. So we're going to do that. And, We'll see whether, uh, you know, how many people actually want to do that. But uh, uh, the idea of the Patreon is that it's not going to be directly tied to any of the games. It's going to be uh, support Corey and Lori uh, Cole, game developers. Uh, and because uh, right now, uh, because the, the funding has been so tight, uh, we don't take any money at all from HeroU. We actually put money into mm -hmm. it. Uh, and if we can, uh, you know, find patrons or something else that will allow us to... Uh, uh, just pay our bills uh, independently, then we can focus everything on the game uh, development budget directly into the game and don't have to worry about stupid little things like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, paying our insurance and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, the uh, live streams, a lot of fun. We're, we're really living in the best of all times. We could not have done Hero You, Rogue to Redemption and Another Time and Place. We were at the right time with our Kickstarter because there was still this, it was a uh, wild and woolly west of Kickstarter times where people were still, you know, willing, trusting that the game developers will actually, you know, provide what they say they do. And uh, people had, were generous and contributed all this money just in the hopes that we could actually put out what we, we were promised. And uh, so. We were at the right time to do the Kickstarter. We found people that were just incredible. And uh, it's it's been a blast. It's been a frustrating, horrifying, reinvent yourself constantly kind of situation. But, you know, this is what we live for. This is, you know, and mostly it's because we have so many 
very, very good fans that keep our energy up and keep us going, uh, that remind us why we're doing all this work. It's because, you know, they really appreciate what we're doing. So this is where we were meant to be, you know? Yeah, there's, a, there's a huge element of, uh, of luck, of uh, just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, and that's what got us into Sierra was, uh, uh, you know, luck and friendship uh, and contacts. Uh, and same thing with Hero U is that uh, one of our big fans uh, runs a uh, uh, site called uh, Quest for More Glory. Uh, and when we put on our uh, uh, Kickstarter updates that uh, we were looking for uh, uh, some more developers to help us make the game, uh, she publicized it on Quest for More Glory, and we had a couple of uh, fans of that site uh, came in and said, uh, oh, yeah, I'd like to work on that project. And you know, I was very naive about budgets. I was ba- we've basically been doing this on a 1990 level budget, uh, uh, forgetting about little things like inflation and uh, uh, you know stuff that programmers actually make real money these days, whereas they didn't make anything back then. I certainly didn't. Uh, but you know, we've gotten some very dedicated uh, people showed up and. Uh, you know, helped us turn this in reality. I, you know, especially, uh, uh, you know, want to do shout out to uh, uh, Sydney Hamilton, uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, earning far more before she came to, to work for us. But, uh, you know, uh, she loves interactive fiction and, uh, you know, has really gotten into helping us make these games the best they can be. Uh, and uh, uh, Joshua down in uh, New Zealand uh, uh, came on, Joshua Smith, and, uh, uh, you know, he really brought in a lot of uh, discipline and uh, getting the uh, systems code working and, you know, getting stuff to work with Unity and so on. So, you know, we have a, these few key people that show up out of nowhere and uh, uh, as far as we're concerned, but, you know, it's obviously been other fans and so on helping us find them uh, that have made this a reality. Uh, so, you know, I have to admit that Hero U, uh, uh, that project could have failed any time during the last six years. So many things went wrong with it, and you know, partly through just you know us being too stubborn to give up and putting in our own money, and uh, you know, having people show up out of the blue and contributing a lot of money uh, uh, and a lot of their time and uh, helping to promote the game and stuff like that has kept it going. Uh, and uh, we did manage to release the game, and uh, uh, right now I'm very sympathetic of our, our friends. Uh, uh, you know, Mark Crow and Scott Murphy are working on this thing called Space Venture, that, who are the original developers of Space Quest. And they have gone through, I, I've watched their development entirely parallel hours. They went through every single problem we went through. Uh, they made the same discovery with Unity. They tried to do 2D games, and it didn't work right. And went 3D, and just everything, everything we went through, they've gone through. And they're still struggling to get their game out. But, uh, you know, I have faith that they will manage to do it. But it's it's really really hard to make these huge complex uh, uh, adventure games with today's tools, and and it wasn't really any easier in the 90s. Uh, the reason that uh, Sierra and LucasArts both uh, stopped making adventure games uh, around the turn of the century uh, uh, had to do with, God that makes it sound ancient. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, had had to do with the fact that people were doing these first-person shooters, which at the time could be developed much more cheaply than an adventure game. Uh, and uh, that were selling 10 times as many copies because they were accessible to anyone can run around and shoot things, whereas it, you know, people who want to uh, read stories and uh, you know, solve complex puzzles, that's, that's a pretty limited subset of players. Uh, so the adventure game uh, 
died for a while uh, because the games were too expensive to make and had too small an audience. And then a few companies like uh, the Longest Journey and, and uh, uh, so on uh, uh, came through Red Thread uh, Games uh, and started making uh, new adventure games. Uh, and then with Kickstarter uh, showing that it was possible that uh, you know a Double Fine Adventure which became Broken Age, showing that you could actually make a you know a fan supported game, uh, said yeah there is still life to these. And meanwhile those uh, first person shooters now cost. $100 million to make instead of a $1 million. Uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, adventure games are competitive again. But uh, uh, we still don't have the, you know, we don't have the huge audience of uh, of pure action games. Our games are thinking games. And that's always been, uh, you know, a limited subset of players. But, uh, you know, if you love solving puzzles and, and uh, you know, feeling like you're really in a story and meeting with characters, uh, you know, we have the type of games you want. Mm. Now, on uh, May 4th, 2019, you're doing another live stream of playing through Quest for Glory 3. Yes, we are. Should be exciting, because we haven't actually played these games since we made them. And so it's, you know, oh, is that what happens? <laughs> <laughs> they said that? It's always, you know, it's it's a big surprise. Plus, it gives us a real, you know, quote-unquote FaceTime with our fans, that we get to talk about things or decisions we made, if we can remember what those decisions were, you know. But uh, it, it gives us a real fun time of just being with the fans and interacting with them and having fun together. Yeah, I, I could definitely say as a fan, from the fan perspective, it is an absolute blast to get to hang out with you guys for a day and watch you uh, watch you play the games that we grew up and loved and see how the actual uh, designers have a good time or sometimes a really hard time playing through these yeah, and let's games. Let's not forget yeah. on the, the New, Year's, New Year's Eve stream, getting to watch Lori uh, rage quit on her own game. That was the <laughs> highlight of my life, I think. <laughs> well, we were uh, we were running in terror, running away from all the monsters for a while on, uh, on Heroes Quest. Kind of funny because, you know, we uh, one, one of the things, we always thought we were making easy games. We were making games that were uh, very accessible, that anybody would be able to play. Uh, and that were fair, you know, that all the hints for the puzzles were in the game. Uh, and we're discovering that I'm actually playing them. Maybe they weren't so easy. Uh, uh, Quest for Glory 3, I have the slight advantage. Of course, it's been 25 years, but uh, I did actually play all the way through the original games. I wasn't on the original development team for it. Uh, so, uh, so I think I still remember the game, but I have a feeling that I'm going to find lots of parts that I have a really hard time with. <laughs> Uh, Quest for Glory 2, I was a little bit appalled playing through. I came up with about a half a dozen uh, misspellings and typos and said, how, do, how did we leave those in the game? Uh, so, But, the, you know, what it comes down to is no game is perfect. Uh, I actually, I want to write a little uh, blog article about this because I've been seeing the, uh, you know, some of these stuff, people were raging against the uh, latest uh, multiplayer games and so on and saying, you know, this company did not deliver what it's pro what they promised and this game is is crap. Uh, and really what they mean is that there's a whole lot of stuff they like in the game, but some things are imperfect. Uh, and maybe even things are bad. Uh, but every single game has those. It's just we have this, uh, you know, this glowing memory of game we played 20 years ago that uh, how wonderful it was. But uh, really they were pretty primitive back then, and there were a lot of compromises made. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are compromises in Hero U. Uh, but we still think we managed to make a solid game. Not a perfect game, but a good game. We are getting a lot of fan letters uh, that say, 
Hero U is uh, uh, the best game of the series. It's better than any of the Quest of Glories. And, uh, and we don't actually know. We can't actually tell. You know, we're writing these games. We were so immersed in them that we can't really tell what's good and what's bad. Uh, so it's a... And, of course, we have other fans telling us the entire game's crap. And we know that isn't true, so we, we kind of take it with a grain of salt. But, uh, uh, but that's uh, we've gotten that for every game. Uh, our uh, we were we were the first person with Quest for Glory uh, three, uh, set in uh, East Africa. Uh, we were the first major game to uh, have an African setting, and uh, you know significant uh, persons of color as uh, major characters in the game, and so on. Uh, and Laurie tried to uh, you know give them all accents so you could get a feeling that you know these people all speak differently. And we actually got hate mail on that. We got people telling us that. Uh, uh, you know, we were uh, uh, promoting uh, uh, stereotypes about uh, black people, uh, you know, not speaking proper English. And no, we give them interesting accents. Uh, the uh, character uh, uh, Ifatayo is the, uh, uh, the head chef in uh, uh, Hero U. Uh, she's a world, world-renowned chef, has traveled all around the world. You know, it's kind of the uh, Gordon Ramsay uh, celebrity chef. Uh, but, you know, she speaks with uh, a Jamaican accent. Um, and, you know, my memory of what a Jamaican accent is is that I worked with a woman, uh, my first uh, job when I took a year off school uh, uh, back in the uh, 70s. I worked with a, uh, a woman from Jamaica, and she was, you know, uh, uh, had a master's degree and, uh, you know, dressed, uh, you know, professionally and, you know, was really smart. But she had an accent, and it was charming. Just wonderful and beautiful and this brilliant woman uh who was just you know the absolute model of a career she wanted me to uh uh get a uh, an afro by the way <laughs> uh, or, or, or at least a perm uh, uh that would have been i still had hair then didn't, didn't last for very many years after that so maybe i should have done it while i could uh but but yeah she, you know uh uh eileen was absolutely awesome uh and you know that's uh how we think of is uh you know our uh, minority. We've got, you know, not just uh, different human races, but we've got all sorts of non-human things. We have cat people and dog people and uh, uh, people can shape change into wolves and all sorts of interesting things in our games. Uh, and, you know, we try to treat all of them with uh, respect and power. And, and we want to, uh, everybody playing the games, to feel like anybody can be powerful, anybody can be a hero, you can do great things with your life. If, you know, if you just put in the, the work and the time and the effort and caring to do that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we uh, we get hate mail. We say, okay, well, they have their opinion. Uh, we don't think so. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, we get about 10 times uh, as much love mail as we get hate mail. Uh, it, you know, we get, we get critical mail that is basically saying, uh, here's why I think these things don't work and how you could have improved on them. And a lot of times, uh, we totally agree with that. Say, yeah, you know, they're right. Uh, but given a limited time and budget, we had, you know, we spent over a million dollars uh, developing a game that had uh, $500,000 in upfront funding. Uh, and less than that, actually, when you take out the fees and so on. Uh, and we think we did an absolutely amazing job with the budget we had. But a million dollars sounds like a lot of money. Uh, but similar games, you know, uh, uh, Broken Age cost $8 million to make. Uh, and we don't have that kind of budget. We would love to make our games perfect, and we know that 
if we did have that budget, we still wouldn't make them perfect. We would still, we would just have different kinds of flaws. We'd have more impressive uh, graphics and animation, and we'd have uh, full voice acting and so on. And some people would hate the voice acting. I, I can't play Broken Age because one of the voice actors that uh, throws me off, uh, you know, sets me <laughs> off. <laughs> so, uh, so all that money they put into it uh, for me was a negative, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, every every game has has wonderful things, and every game has flaws, and you just have to decide: Are you having fun with it? And if not, can you uh, you know put in a little little suspense of disbelief to not worry about the things that bother you and still manage yeah, to have fun with it? Well, I, I'd I'd like to say you know to everyone listening too, you know, please please be supportive, share share with your friends, you know, get the word out when it comes to to Summer Days uh, and Rogue to Redemption for those who are yet to discover it, because I would love just selfishly to see this series expand. I mean, when you explained your your kind of long term goal. Uh, uh, of going through, you know, the different uh, from Paladin, etc. onwards, it, it almost reminds me of like the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe, where it's like the end, the end game, where all the characters can play together interchangeable is like the Avengers. Like that, that just sounds like such a, a just mouthwatering prospect. It sounds so exciting. So for selfish reasons, uh, I, I would love to see this go on as long as possible. So I hope everyone out there listening, you know, knows how important it is to get just word of mouth. You know, we're, we're a bit of a niche community to. A degree and so everyone's word actually does count so please share these things and of course we'll make sure we share the patreon things like that to help uh, push this forward um and uh, i'm not sure about rick but i have just one last question it's a little bit cheeky um but i was wondering and you can approach this either uh uh in a loving touching deep way or in a cynical way it's up to you but the question is what's it been like throughout all these years to work directly with your spouse well we're both still alive <laughs> we and, we're, with and we're still married <laughs> surprisingly at times yeah now my theory on divorce is that it's just too expensive and complicated and annoying and <laughs> it's, it's much uh, much easier to stay together and uh yeah and the fact that i can cook really good food and uh yeah i mean it hasn't been easy it hasn't been easy to to do these things and it's been frustrating and you get frustrated with each other and you yell and sometimes you fight and uh, it's uh it's actually louis laid down the ground rules early on is uh said that if i ever uh said uh my wife i think i'll keep her would be grounds for divorce uh and uh you know when i married you for your cooking uh probably would have been grounds for divorce at some point but the fact is that she's effectively a master chef and everything she makes is delicious and uh, he happens to enjoy cooking. So that's why that's why we're working on the uh, Heroes Feast cookbook. And this was an inspiration uh, from, uh, uh, you know, as Lori posted stuff about some of the meals she was making, and people said, oh, you ought to do a uh, Quest for Glory, uh, Gloriana cookbook. <laughs> we said, sure, why not? Uh, so, so that's another one of the little uh, side projects that we have going that uh, – uh, we're not putting a lot of time into now, except Lori uses that excuse to try out new recipes. So just before we uh, wrap up here, are there, do you have anything you'd like to plug or any shout outs you'd like to make? Oh, I think we've done lots of that. <laughs> uh, you should check out our <laughs> Facebook page because, uh, uh, you know, we had a Google plus thing, but never much going on there. Uh, but uh, uh, we, I have, tw we both have Twitter accounts that I look at once in a while, but our real interaction with the fans is on Facebook. Uh, and we actually have a, uh, a, uh, discord now that we've also started up, uh, 
But if you look at uh, facebook.com slash The School for Heroes, and that's uh, properly spelled out as H-E-R-O-E-S, uh, uh, that's the uh, School for Heroes is the Hero You uh, page on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, we actually spend far too much of our time up there uh, answering questions from fans and, uh, uh, you know, having some interactions. Uh, and as we said, many of our fans know more about our own games than we do. So uh, you can have the interaction with the other fans. You'll probably get uh, more details than we can give you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I could definitely say for myself that um, the Quest for Glory series was absolutely like the, the entire series is my favorite game of all time. As someone who grew up playing video games with video games being a big part of my life. Uh, Quest for Glory series is number one for me. Like it is undisputed. It sits on top there. Uh, the your games have just been like a huge part of not only my childhood but my entire life. So I just wanted to say personally, thank you very much for everything you've done. It's been an amazing impact on my life, and it's, I'm just so overjoyed to see you continuing to make more games moving forward. Because it'll just be, uh, it, it's always been just such a huge part of me, and I'm just really excited for that to continue. And well, gosh, that's, that's the reason why we keep fighting this, why we keep forcing ourselves to do this work, to face the frustrations and the stress and all of the the hard times is because the fans and people like you that felt our games made a difference in their lives. And hearing that says, yeah, we did something right and we want to keep doing something right because there are always more people who could use something like this in their lives. Absolutely. And of course, we're gamers too, and uh, we'd be happily spending 10 or 12 hours every day uh, uh, playing games. So it's uh, kind of hard to squeeze in a few hours to work on our own. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but we feel this obligation, and, uh, you know, and it, it's fun. Uh, it's fun, but it's so stressful that sometimes we just have to get away and do other stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to our show. Uh, I hope to have you again sometime soon, perhaps. Uh, but it's been it's been an absolute absolute honor and pleasure to have you on and to hear you talk about uh, Quest for Glory, the general process, and moving forward with the Hero You series. So thank you so much again. Uh, it's been just an absolute pleasure yes, to have you on. Yes, thank you so much. Love you lot. Thank you very much. We're honored. Mm-hmm.